0: Hello, and thank you for tuning in to The Christian Skeptic. I'm your host, Sean Kerwin, and as always, it's my mission to take an honest look at our questions about Christianity through the lens of logic and reason. I'm not here to preach at you, just to start a conversation with you. I hope you enjoy the show. So today's question comes from Elizabeth. She writes, Can Christians smoke marijuana? I have a family member conflicted because it has been recommended for ADHD and severe depression issues. It's kind of like, why not when other meds are potentially more problematic and addictive, why not just use cannabis or marijuana? I've been curious about a balanced and open-minded conversation about it with a Christian perspective. Just food for thought. Well, Elizabeth, this has actually been a lot of food for thought, and I do apologize for taking so long to answer your question, but I wanted to do this one justice. and. This is a big topic right now. As of April 2023, and I don't know if anything's changed, it's now June 2023 when I'm recording this, and it may be even later when you're listening to this, but as of April 2023, 22 states in the United States have legalized marijuana, cannabis, weed for recreational use. And so this is a big topic. Can Christians do this? Can Christians smoke weed? Can Christians smoke weed recreationally? Uh, certainly that's a question among yonder. Christians, Gen Z, Millennial, but it's also a question among older Christians as well, as some of the diseases and conditions uh, in the latter years of life cause pain and cause maybe even distraction from life. Can Christians who are older use cannabis and weed for those conditions? So like I said, I wanted to do this topic some justice, so I've invited a very special guest onto the podcast today. She is A pediatrician, part-time, and an addiction recovery specialist, the other part-time. She's a physician associate, I think physician assistant. They've changed the terminology. I think the new one is physician associate is what we're supposed to call you guys.
1: Technically, yes.
0: (laughs) So without further ado, please welcome to the Christian skeptic, my wife, Gabriella Kerwin. Hi. It's good to have you on the show.
1: It's good to be here.
0: So can Christians smoke weed? For those of you listening, we've... Talked about recording this episode, but we haven't talked about our responses to this question yet, and so um, which you know has been a little hard because we live together, but we just have stayed off the subject <laughs> uh, because I wanted the reaction uh, to be kind of raw here and just for you guys to be a part of the conversation. So I say, without further ado, let's put the cart before the horse and just answer: Yes or no? Can Christians uh, use weed, cannabis, marijuana recreationally? Ready? Three, two, one. Yes. maybe. Okay. Interesting. So I say yes. Uh, I'm going to go first because it's my show and I can. Uh, (laughs) Also because I think you have a lot more to say on the subject than I do. So I'm going to get my opinion out of the way and let your opinion be more of the meat of the show. So I say yes because there's no prohibition in the Bible against the use of marijuana, weed, or cannabis recreationally. You know, from a very literal contextual standpoint, it's never actually mentioned and I get it. If you're listening, it wasn't around weed (laughs) back then, 2,000 years (laughs) ago. Uh, It's a rather newer, in the grand scope of history, discovery, at least from my understanding of it. And so there's no prohibition. And so I I think it's okay, actually. I think it's okay for Christians to use. In other words, I guess, what, what do I mean by okay? I mean, okay, it's not a sin, right? I don't think you're outright sinning if you smoke weed. In and of itself... But I do think watch out for your motivations, because though it's not a prohibition, I think that the Bible does talk about the benefits of wisdom, right? Of wisdom calls forth in the Bible, and those that listen to her do well. And so I think that we need to be careful of our motives when turning to weed, and alcohol for that matter. You know, alcohol is not a sin. Certainly Jesus made water into wine. So drinking alcohol is not a sin. However, I think it can be sinful. Um, And I want to be careful saying this because, you know, life is messy and life is hard. And I don't want to condemn anyone by saying any of this stuff. But I think that if we turn to alcohol or weed to escape life, And I'm not saying just having a beer after a long day, right? Or maybe smoking a blunt after a long day. I don't know. I personally don't smoke weed. You don't smoke weed either. And (laughs) and there's another thought I have there that maybe we'll get to later on in the show. But I'm not saying that. I'm not saying if you just turn, you know, just have a beer after a long day, you're in sin, right? Just to relax and unwind. But I'm saying if you turn to substances to genuinely escape the reality of the tragedy of life and you look to those to make yourself comfortable right so, so that you can turn a blind eye to life being a tragedy life is pain right and anyone that tells you anything different is selling you something uh, the princess bride yes. which I will forever quote <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I think if you're turning to these substances as a means to escape and not face the tragedy face the reality of the pain of life I think that that's where it can be sinful because what are you actually doing there are you building your own kingdom are you saying you're your own god And that you need to feel satisfied at all times. You need to feel comfortable. You need to feel like life is easy for you when really life is hard and there's a blessing in the struggle and the hardness of life. And maybe we're meant to face it. And one of those methods of facing it, uh, the least of which should not be, counseling. And I think that that's to answer specifically the ADHD and depression portion of Elizabeth's question, which is a fair part of the conversation of recreational cannabis use because that's a common thing right and (laughs) uh, one of our favorite television shows is that 70s show right and they they smoke a lot of weed in that 70s show and there's there's many scenes where they're in a (laughs) distressing situation and they're like okay we need to solve this what do we do and then they get in the circle and smoke weed (laughs) and 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 that's the stereotype right is that weed helps with anxiety adhd depression but that's not necessarily always true, right?
1: Yes, correct. Not true.
0: <laughs> so tell me a little bit more about that.
1: Okay. So as far as mental health is concerned, there smoking weed definitely is not a treatment. The literature, the data largely shows that that's not That's not the indication for it. So there are very specific indications for medical use of cannabis. There's a lot of disagreements on this as well. But as far as like cold hard facts go, and you know, looking at the medical literature, the indications for cannabis as used for medical purposes is specific to cancer pain, HIV, like AIDS pain, and then pain related to chemotherapy, like treatment of cancer, right? And I've heard And I've seen a little bit of data here and there about like spastic neuro diseases like epilepsy and MS. Um, I'll have to personally do a little bit more digging on that stuff. But I have seen a little bit here and there on that kind of data. But as far as cannabis being used as a treatment for ADHD, for depression, PTSD, that's the one I hear the most in my practice. It's just not true. The, the, The literature just doesn't back that a lot of times folks men folks like to say, you know, Oh, when I smoke weed, it helps with my pain. Um, and that's more so qualitative. Like when you look at the data, you see qualitatively, sometimes people, um, do say that it, w- it helps with their pain, but on a quantitative measure, the statistics just don't back that. So, you know, it, it's kind of when you think about alcohol, right? Like, Oh yeah. When you're going to take a drink, a lot of times people will say, Oh, that makes me feel better. I feel more sociable. And fair enough, you know, if you're gonna drink alcohol, that might do that for you. But it's not a medical indication, right? So the, really, I think the medical, the medicalization of cannabis is very political, unfortunately. Um, and there's a lot of misinformation about it out there. But in reality, you know, people are gonna use it to just be more sociable or just feel better. That's different than having the needing it for a medical purpose. Um, and there are, like I said, just very few indications where that's actually. A thing where that's that's actually necessary and um on the flip side so because you know pertinent to your listeners question you know how she's talking about should i should this be used for depression or adhd there are way better treatments for those mental health illnesses Um, adhd is usually treated with a stimulant like methylphenidate or adderall and you know and if those don't work there are second line treatments that are better Um, cannabis is not one of them and depression, usually, usually like an SSRI, which I won't get into all the details with those those kind of meds, but there are just my point is medications that are actually indicated for those mental health illnesses that work so well. So I would maybe tell her, you know really, really listen to a practitioner who's nuanced in this kind of medicine to kind of go over those options. And from my standpoint, I just, I never treat those those things with cannabis. Um, and in fact, because I work in addiction medicine, I mostly come across people who have formed an addiction to cannabis, or i'm not sure they've formed an addiction i'm kind of like an ongoing process of trying to figure out is their use truly recreational or has it become an addiction because it totally can be about 10 percent of people who use cannabis end up forming an addiction when you kind of compare that to alcohol use disorder people who anyone who like first you know takes a drink so but amongst anyone who's ever had alcohol about seven percent develop an addiction to alcohol so it's higher than alcohol surprisingly, I think, to some people. But I think a lot of folks don't want to talk about that part of it or are just convinced that that's not a thing, but it definitely is, and it's something we have to be aware of. So, Sean, to get to your question to me about can Christians smoke cannabis or not, I said maybe because I feel like, not I feel, I think. (laughs) I think that, you know, the indications that it's meant for to actually help with like cancer pain, to help with treatment from for, with cancer. Absolutely. I think if a person's in pain and there's that clear indication for it, then go for it. I think, you know, I think if, if it's helpful in that way, I don't see it as a sin at all. On the flip side, I think using cannabis cuz you kind of mentioned using it for the purpose of putting our problems away, right? That's that's important to take into consideration, because ultimately, if you are using it, using it, you have to ask yourself, what's the reason? And some people really just use it just because it feels good, right? But certainly, if it's becoming a problem, if it's becoming something that's taking over your life, or you don't see it that way yet, but perhaps it's causing problems with your relationships, with your work. Um, it's worth considering that it's not helpful for you, that it's actually something that's causing detriment to your life and taking away from the ideal, right? Shawnee always mentioned about the ideal, what we're striving for in life. And I think cannabis is one of those things we definitely have to be, as a Christian, like from a Christian perspective, you got to be prayerful about. Because I think, you know, God doesn't lay it out in the Bible, like you said, like how we're supposed to use cannabis. He's very clear with alcohol, I think. He's like, hey, drink and be merry, um, but not unto drunkenness. That's like a very clear parameter in my mind, but for cannabis, we just don't have that direction. So I think if you're going to use it and you, you're like, you know, Gabi, I, I use it just every once, once in a blue moon and it's fine. And I just feel good. I'm like, okay, fair enough. But you should still, I think, pray about it because if it's, if it gets to be calm a habit, that's becoming problematic, it's so important to be aware of that and be prayerful about that. Yeah. And then I have some thoughts about like, the adverse effects of cannabis that I'd love to share with you. So I don't know if you want to talk about that now or if you have Yeah, well, so thoughts. you've said a lot
0: that has brought up some questions in my mind that okay. I kind of want to dive further into. So you talked about some of the anxiety, ADHD, and depression medication that providers prescribe. Yeah. Isn't cannabis less harmful than those? Can't those come with side effects Uh, And certainly their own addictions, right? Because people get addicted to pills all the time. And I'm not a medical professional, and I'm not sure if our listener or any of our listeners are either, but can't those pills come with addictions and side effects? I mean, we've heard horror stories culturally from people getting addicted to pills, and certainly benzos were prescribed for a while in the medical world. And so there's some hesitation and some fear with things being prescribed or recommended from Medical doctors uh, or governments or anything. Mm -hmm. We live in a very turbulent world for that. So can't cannabis? I think that cannabis is seen as less harmful. Is that true? Is it less harmful? Can it be less addictive?
1: Um, So Essentially cannabis to go back to my previous point cannabis just isn't indicated for depression and ADHD so it's not uh, What we would do for those mental health illnesses Um, and I see what you're getting at. I think there definitely is a misconception that cannabis is less addictive than other medications that can or have been prescribed in the past. You you mentioned benzodiazepines, and certainly those medications can become habit-forming, can become addictive. I personally very rarely prescribe that, and I don't prescribe it ever on an ongoing basis just because it can become habit-forming, right? And so benzos nowadays, we... I'd say you know most of the time it's prescribed like if a person's gonna get an MRI and they, they freak out because they have like um, they get claustrophobic right and so we'll give them prescribe them uphill to help them relax enough to get imaging that needs to be done you know kind of instances like that and and for me that's definitely more so because I work with the uh, a population that struggles with addiction anyway so it's not it's not a good thing to prescribe so yeah with those kind of meds. We, I think nowadays we just have more information on that kind of stuff. Same goes for the class of like opiates, right? Those used to be prescribed willy nilly and and not responsibly when we didn't have as much data as we do now. Um, And certainly there were other forces at play, you know, back in the like, you know, back half of the, from the 50s onward. So I think those kind of medications, certainly we have to be careful about, but I think people understand that more nowadays. And as far as cannabis goes, so for actual treatments for like depression and ADHD, namely like stimulants for ADHD, right? And those are usually what's indicated. And then for like depression, the class of medications like SSRIs or SNRIs, which we won't have to get in detail about those treatments specifically, those are not addictive. You know, you got to take it as prescribed and you got to take it appropriately um, and then have a physician overseeing your treatment. But those medications, they they're not they're not addictive in the same way that we think of substances like cannabis. And and that's not to say cannabis is always habit forming either, right? I mean, I think people have that idea of cannabis being safer, so to speak, because you know, just because you smoke cannabis doesn't mean you'll become addictive. It's just one of those things that is a potential possibility and you have to be wary of. So to answer your question, it it's not there is some harm that can come from it, so you have to be super wary. And then as far as it goes for first line treatments for the specific il- uh, mental health illnesses that your listener brought up specifically with depression, ADHD, it's just not. It's just not indicated for that. So it's not going to treat those mental health illnesses.
0: Sure, yeah. So so to sum it up then, it it's it's like the consideration for smoking cannabis recreationally needs to be a lifestyle consideration and not just a consideration of what the cannabis itself does or can do for you if i'm putting that correctly and i think that that maybe brings us back to something that you said earlier and i think i touched on as we opened the show which is you mentioned the ideal you mentioned the pursuit of the ideal and does marijuana help get you to that ideal Mm, Neither you or I have ever smoked marijuana in our lives Uh, We've never tried cannabis or any cannabis-related products So we are coming at this subject from a lack of uh, (laughs) experience of taste, I guess, if you will Mm -hmm. And I think that that's fair because we've both always been very STEM-minded Even before we knew each other, right? We've always been driven towards the sciences, towards medicine, towards engineering, obviously Where we are in our fields, and we've both always been very athletic You've been athletic your entire life. I've been athletic for most of my life as well. We still are. I mean, you, you know, go off and do yoga, and and I go off and do all kinds of exercises as well. And so, adding weed or even excessive alcohol consumption to our diet,
1: mm-hmm. or even
0: fast food to our diet, is not something that neither you or I even desire, right? Save for the occasional trip to Chick Fil A. Obviously, it's the <laughs> Lord's chicken. You have to, um, <laughs> and have it. for you know, a, a drink with friends or whatever, right? And I think that's because both you and I have set up in the narratives of our mind, and I think that there's many other people like this, that, and it's, it's I think, based in statistics and facts, that the healthier and the cleaner and the more intellectually stimulating our life is, the better quality of life we'll have for the long run. And I think there's a difference in quality of life versus quantity of life. And I think if you can have a quality of life that is also quantitatively long, that's a good thing, and that's typically what you and I both pursue. And so marijuana comes into that conversation as well, right? I think if you want to be STEM-minded, if you want to go into engineering or medicine or any of the hard sciences, right, staying away from marijuana typically has better effects for the longevity of your mental cognition and capacity and your ability to enter even into these fields, right? There are certain clearances and uh, stipulations you have to meet in some jobs within these fields and abstaining from drug use and heavy drinking is certainly one of those criteria to help you even get into one of those fields to begin with true but what if you want to be an artist we have a friend who's in a rock and roll band and smokes weed (laughs) uh, very heavily (laughs) recreationally of course right and he says it helps him write music what if you want to be an artist does weed help get you to your ideal? Is it a good idea then to smoke weed? And again, neither you or I are artists. We're we're STEM. <laughs> we are we are science <laughs> and medicine, right? But if you want to be an artist, is it a good idea?
1: Ooh. <laughs> it's a hard one. Um okay, so I think to answer this question, I do wanna touch on what we have to be cautious of when using weed. Or and I, I, I say this just to give listeners a good idea of what's important to know about it. And I think it's pertinent to your question. Potential risks of using cannabis are very real to consider whether you're in STEM, whether you're an artist, no matter who you are. And so I think if you're going to, you know, use that substance, it's really important for you to consider your personal history, your family history before engaging in it. Let me explain what I mean. The very significant risks with cannabis use include psychotic psychosis right so this we typically see this in adolescents and young adults so like if someone is predisposed to be schizophrenic or or just have a predisposition for psychosis cannabis use often kind of precipitates that or is if you can think of it like a catalyst for inducing that kind of um, experience that kind of symptom which is really scary right and so if you if a person has a family history of schizophrenia um, or just psychotic various psychotic disorders, I would heavily caution that person to not use cannabis for that reason, just to tell them, hey, you have this history or your family has this history, this could make things worse. From my own experience working in addiction, folks who... Sometimes folks who are smoking cannabis for PTSD, whatever, and they're experiencing psychosis, they're telling me they're hearing voices, whatnot, um, I often ask them, hey, have you ever gone a stretch of period with not smoking cannabis? And is, are, if these voices are bothering some enough, are you willing to try to stop smoking weed to get them to go away? And oftentimes, that's a, they're willing to do it because psychosis sucks. That's like one of the scarier things that can come from cannabis use that you have to be aware of. So that's like one of the big ones. And then another one, I mean, there's, there's several things there's, you know, if you're kind of more, uh, if you're asthmatic or you're cut, you have like pulmonary diseases, it's really important to be mindful that, okay, in inhaling like hot <laughs> smoke is, it, it doesn't like we don't have see strong data of it causing specific pulmonary issues, but certainly, like we've heard, we've heard through various case studies of it causing like a chronic cough, right? A type of type of recurrent bronchitis. That's something else to be aware of, right? If you already have pulmonary diseases, as far as you're talking about with like neurocognitive impairment, I think is kind of what you're getting at, right? In certain professions. I mean, that can kind of, I mean, I think, yes, it's important for like our fields, but certainly across the board, if you're just, even if you are an artist, but you're trying to maintain a day job, right, while you're pursuing artistic avenues, it's important to be aware of, of how that affects your cognition as well. As far as data goes, I think, uh, I think the, the age range was like 13 to 38 is the range that they noticed chronic users of cannabis. And, and this is more, this is more so like people who use at least three or four times a week or on a daily basis tend to have an IQ decrease of about eight points with using cannabis. And that's significant, right? Like if, if you're, no matter what you're trying to do, you don't want to like lower your IQ. So that's something just to be aware of. And right,
0: it's, because we don't know how to raise your IQ. We have no <laughs> known means of raising IQ right now. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, (laughs) but (laughs) that's a very crucial one. Yeah, again, we're more STEM minded. So IQ (laughs) is very important to us. But (laughs) yeah,
1: right. And and we don't see that. We don't see that with um, older adults. Like we don't see that IQ drop with studying older adults. But like that's the crucial time frame. People are experimenting with that and people are starting to form that habit. Right. So it's super important just to be aware of what cannabis, the risks that cannabis can pose to your health, to to your mental health, your physical health, everything really.
0: Well, okay, so let's talk about time frame then. And I think again from the non-medical perspective, from what I've observed, there is a more crucial time frame to really consider these things than not. Certainly back to your earlier point, if you are, you know, if you're 50, 60, 70, you have stage 3, stage 4 cancer, you're in a lot of pain, you're undergoing chemo and you just want to smoke weed to relax. Certainly I think that there is more benefit than risk to that situation. I'm not in that situation, I don't know what it feels like, I've never been there, maybe one day I will be, I don't know. There's a part of me that likes the William Wallace Braveheart mentality of keeping your wits about you even through pain, because I think that there's a lot of beauty that can come out of that, and I don't know that I'm willing to trade the beauty of that for a lack of discomfort, because dying men suffering is often something very beautiful, see all of Dietrich Bonhoeffer's writings. Right. On our bookshelf, we have Dietrich Bonhoeffer's wedding sermons and poems that he wrote in the concentration camp in Nazi Germany right before he was about to be executed, and they're some of the most beautiful works of Christian literature ever written, right? And so, <laughs> what do you want? I think that's that's a major question in those situations, and certainly, I've, I'm not there. I, I wouldn't presume to call anyone weak that turns to cannabis use <laughs> in that situation, but I do wonder. Anyway back to cruciality of time frames we're in a day and age where depression anxiety all around general hopeless feelings are coming more from teenagers and people in their early 20s than they are from people later on in life and the world's been turned upside down for the past 3 years right like <laughs> no matter what side of the political aisle you're on, you've dealt with some kind of effects of the pandemic and just everything that's gone on. And so depression, anxiety, all of the stuff are really on the rise, especially among young people. And weed's now legal, right? And so there, there is that social element of it where I think in the past we could make the argument that drinking alcohol was more social, than smoking weed was. Smoking weed was more isolating because of it because it was illegal. You couldn't do it out in public. You had to do it in your home. And so you would do it alone in your home, and it was way more isolating. And that's really not good, because that isolation really drives depression and anxiety more so than going out and having a couple beers with friends. Like, like even to the point that you go out and get drunk with friends, at least you're with friends and you're building social connections, which are really, really good for your mental health. The getting drunk part and the hangover really not so good for your <laughs> mental health or physical health. Uh, but I don't know, because I I haven't seen any statistics, and I just did a little bit of research before this uh, episode, but I didn't see any statistics where weed really increases social interaction uh, among younger people, and maybe we just don't have that data yet because it's so new that it's legal, but I, I guess having that conversation, right, if you start to smoke weed in your teenage years, can it have social benefits? Is it ever a good idea to smoke weed as a teenager, or is it something that really should just steer clear of. And parents and friends and family of teenagers should caution those to steer clear of. Is it ever a good idea to smoke weed as a teenager or someone in their early 20s?
1: (laughs) Good question. I definitely seen both sides of this. And generally speaking, when adolescents talk to me about their cannabis use, I don't encourage it. And there's some reasons, right? So I'd say You alluded to how we're seeing a lot of depression and anxiety these days. And it's so, so true, especially in our adolescent population. A lot of, and there's a lot of misinformation that cannabis can help with anxiety and depression. And like I said before, that's just not true. But also, I often counsel adolescents, you know, to, or at least I ask them the question, hey, has anyone ever told you that chronic cannabis use can worsen anxiety? Which, by the way, it can. <laughs> so, and and by and large, they say no, like, no, I've never heard that. Because again, the message out there is that it helps. But I, I can tell you, you know, from my own experience working with people going through addiction, they they often, they're often anxious. Not They're not always anxious, but they're often anxious. And, and I always ask them, okay, how long have you been using cannabis? And it's usually for years. Um, and they're convinced that it helps. But when when I ask them, you know, are you still anxious? They're like, yes, I am. <laughs> so, you know, it, it really, it doesn't help with that component and can truly worsen things. And it's hard because a person doesn't usually see that until they stop using it. And it t- tends to take several months of them being sober off of it before they see that awesome improvement of, in their anxiety. So, I often have that discussion with adolescents that I'm, I'm talking to in my clinic, Cause it's, it's really important for them to understand that it tends to worsen anxiety specifically. And it, and like I said, it's just not an indication for for mental health, but as far as like social interaction goes, honestly, there's so many better ways to have social interaction than, than using substances in my opinion. Right. And, and truly, I, I think there are just risks with using substances, any kind of substances, right? Like the thing about cannabis is, is it's, it's everywhere now, right? It's legalized. So in a sense, you know, if you get cannabis from a dispensary, it's probably probably going to be okay, not like cut with things. The problem is, is that it's so expensive to get it from a dispensary. So most people don't like to or at least adolescents, you know, they need someone who can go to the dispensary and get it for them. And that's hard. So they're usually, you know, going to ask, oh, hey, brother, or hey, <laughs> um, person, I'm, I'm going to get some cheap cannabis. Can you help me out? And that's, and that can be scary because that kind of cannabis, obviously, well, you know, it's not regulated and it's, it's, it, depending on what they're buying, who they're buying it from, it can be cut with different things. Um, I've I've personally seen cannabis cut with meth and fentanyl and that's terrifying. (laughs) I wouldn't say I see that often, but I have seen it. And so if you're an adolescent and you're in that situation of like buying cannabis from some sketchy person um, and, and you have that risk, that's to me, that's too great of a risk than any kind of benefit of socialization. So yeah, I often just counsel adolescents to you know not go down that road for that risk and just encourage them to be super careful but to answer your question i think the risk is greater and like i said before too with the young adults the the adolescent population if they have certain predispositions, you know, to psychosis, to schizophrenia, so to certain things like that, it's, I think there's quite a bit of risk there too with, where it's just like, okay, I think if you could socialize some other way um, that's safer, why not do it that way? And, and for adolescents or, and, you know, or just folks in general who are really motivated to your point of like, Excelling in life, doing like hard jobs, right? Being a physicist, being a policeman, being a teacher. It's really important that they stay off of substances entirely to be able to meet their goals. And so I often have that conversation of like, okay, hey, I know you like this substance, but where do you want to be in the next five, ten years of life? And if they tell me something like that, I kind of run with it. Tell them, okay, awesome. If we're gonna, if you want to do this, what are some steps you need to take to get there? And kind of introduce the idea of, like, where does cannabis fit in there? Because I'm pretty sure you're not allowed to in that profession. Like, what do you think about that? And that helps them to kind of start thinking about where that substance fits into their plans and whether it's actually helpful.
0: Sure, certainly. And, and we're touching on something, and we can close with this, that's really, it's really an identity thing at the end of the day. It's not just where do you want to be in 10 years. It's who do you want to be in 10 years. And I think you want to be popular. Like, 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 I really, it's, and I'm, I. This might be more directed towards the adolescents and those in high school and college, but it's like you really want everyone to like you, but like, like, really, you do, and I think that there's something there, be, be, because you want that, but you also kind of, you kind of want to be unique. You, you really don't in some ways because you're on social media and you just want the likes, and people just like what's exactly the same as them, and so you rob yourself of the uniqueness typically, <laughs> to conform to the crowd because you conform to the crowd so that people will like you and so that you'll be accepted in the crowd and you'll have, you'll have social acceptance, right? And there's a, a, a draw to the crowd that uses weed and, and, you know, cannabis recreationally in that as long as you smoke or as long as you eat the edibles, you're accepted. You can be as weird as you want. You can, you know paint as weirdly as you want make music as weirdly as you want everyone's high anyway they're not going to notice <laughs> but but they're going to accept you because you're doing the thing that they're doing and and i feel like it's the same thing at a wedding you know we we, we go to weddings. And there's always that, like, one or two people that are just, like, really drunk by the end of the night. And they don't really care what you're doing. They don't care how you're dancing. They don't care whatever, as long as you're just drunk with them. Like, that's the thing they want most is that you're doing the thing with them, right? And and so there's some aspect of that where it's, like, weed's a really easy, socially acceptable crowd to get in. But who are actually the people that everyone likes? Like, who are the people that the weed users, the non-weed users, the Christians, the non-Christians you know, the the nerds, the jocks, whatever, like, who, who are the people that everyone likes? And it's like, the, those people are just the people that are genuinely nice to everyone. Those people are just the people that listen to others, right? Like, if you actually really want to be socially acceptable, put yourself out there and be the kind of person that cares more about others than you do yourself. And that's really hard, especially in adolescence and early 20s years, right? But it, But it is that question of who do you want to be in 10 years? And no one says, I want to be someone that others think are weird, right? And, and and maybe you do, but in like a countercultural kind of way, which yeah. is funny because I, <laughs> we're moving into a, a time in history where Christianity really is countercultural. So that's kind of funny. And another, I guess, shameless plug for Christianity. But hey, this is the Christian skeptic. You knew what you got yourself into when you clicked the link. Um, <laughs> at least I'm assuming you do. Because there's always that, that desire to be countercultural. There's always that desire to be like, well, mom and dad said this wasn't cool, so I'm going to do it. Like just to, to spite mom and dad, right? And certainly that to spite mom and dad draws into your 30s and 40s too. This is not just adolescents that try to spite <laughs> mom and dad. But there's that element. And then there's the other element of being popular, being socially acceptable. And I guess my point in all of this is there's other and better ways to do that. And in the multitude of counselors, there is safety, the Bible says. And so I think in some way, being socially acceptable with your peers, being friendly, all the things I just mentioned is really good. But also learning from, for lack of a better term, the religions of the past is something that mankind has always done. And I think that that's important to recognize what mankind has always done because depression and anxiety levels have not always been this high. And we had something figured out in history before our day and age and i think part of that is passing on the religious tradition and obviously this whole podcast is a question of of religious tradition right so so let me explain what i mean by that right it's this idea of having counselors you know and maybe that's an actual clinical counselor an actual clinical therapist and certainly there is a lot of benefit in that sometimes they're hard to find but learning from others having mentors integrating yourself forcefully into your community and culture and i mean forcefully because you have to go out and do it Culture's not just going to draw you in with a hook you need to go out and find culture to integrate yourself in with and maybe that's a better way to do it than turning to weed or alcohol or any substance or any even healthy thing i think i notice it where even just going to the gym can be your culture can be your drug and certainly too much of any good thing and making an ultimate of any good thing can become a bad thing.
1: Valid point. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. I, yeah, we, in a <laughs> clinical way to put that, we discuss pro social, I'm using quotation marks where people can see pro social behaviors all the time uh, and trying to help people, uh, you know, change, change the way that, the way that they're living, the way that they're, um, you know, dealing with their trauma or, you know, whatever issue they're, go- they're dealing with. Um, stuff like, exactly like you just mentioned, just, you know, counselors, exercising, getting adequate hydration, stress management, all of that stuff is so, so important. And if you can work through that in healthy ways, right, ways that benefit yourself and don't include harm, <laughs> that's huge. And, and certainly is the preferable route to go um, from a clinical standpoint, but from what you're, yeah, what you're saying, yeah, basically all makes a ton of sense.
0: Well, Gabriella, I'd like to thank you for being a part of the Christian Skeptic today.
1: You are most welcome. <laughs> it's kind of fun to do this. It's, I, it's a little bit out of my comfort zone, but it's good.
0: <laughs> I think you did great. If you'd like to continue this conversation, please feel free to send me an email. Uh, You can message me on social media, but I'm not the fastest to respond there, but I will respond as soon as I see it. But that's all the time we have for today. So as always, thank you so much for listening, and
1: I hope you've enjoyed the show.